When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell part two of the murdered women of Chicago. If you haven't already, make sure you go back and listen to part one. This is part two. From the beginning of 2001 until the end of 2003, there had been at least 20 women strangled in Chicago. All of the bodies were found in the south side and west side areas of the city, and all of them were unsolved. As the murders continued into 2004, it was clear that because so many of the victims were Black women who lived high-risk lifestyles, that the Chicago Police Department was not prioritizing investigating their murders. In 2003, the murders had escalated to eight women, including Nancy Walker, who had been missing for seven weeks before her body was found dismembered along an interstate. But in 2004, the murders seemed to have stopped, well, at least for a few months. Ethel Amerson had been the last victim found strangled in December 2003, and after her, it would be seven months before the next strangulation victim would be found in Chicago. The first victim of 2004 was Michelle Davenport. Michelle was 40 years old and she was found dead in a garbage can on July 15, 2004. The can was located in a vacant lot and Michelle was naked when she was found. Like many of the other women from 2001 to 2003, no information seems to be available about her murder or her body being found. Ironically, however, the same day that Michelle's body is found, an article appeared in the Chicago Tribune about police warning women to be careful after two women had been found strangled a week apart and a mile from each other. But neither of the women were Michelle. However, the first woman in that article mentioned was a woman named Cheryl Wilhite. She was a 41-year-old woman who had been found strangled in an alleyway behind Harold's Chicken Shack, a restaurant located on South Michigan Avenue. Cheryl was found on June 28, 2004. She had been strangled and beaten to death, according to an autopsy. And a week later, the body of Valerie Crawford was found near railroad tracks. She had also been strangled and beaten to death. In the morning, police issued about the murders. They cautioned women not to travel alone, but also said at the time that they didn't believe that the murders were related. DNA was collected from Valerie's body, but it would be months before the samples would be tested. Now, although there is no information about Michelle's murder from that day, 
nor is there any mention of the at least 20 other women that had been found murdered over the past two years. Police were clearly beginning to suspect that something may be going on. Now, after Michelle's murder, the next woman was found three months later. Tamela Edwards was found dead on October 16, 2004. Tamela was 37 years old, and she was found strangled in an alleyway on the northwest side of the city. Tamela's body was found wrapped in a comforter, and the comforter had been bound tightly with duct tape. Unlike Michelle, I was at least able to locate a short article in the Chicago Tribune about her body being found, but there was no other information about Tamela. The final victim of 2004 was Michaela Williams. She was found less than a month later, and she too had been strangled and found in an alleyway. On November 5th, 2014, 18-year-old Michaela's body was found inside of a blue cloth bag. Michaela, at 18 years old, appears to be the youngest victim in this unsolved pattern. Now, one of the theories of these murders is that perhaps the murders are not the work of one serial killer, and that there may be multiple serial killers over the years. Now, it wouldn't be the first time that that happened in Chicago, either. And if that is the case, then the question becomes, then what is it about Chicago that makes it a breeding ground for serial killers? Something was happening to the women of Chicago, and... In the beginning of 2005, a serial killer was arrested. As 2005 began, the year started with yet another woman found dead from strangulation and found in an alleyway. On January 13, 2005, the body of 23-year-old Precious Smith was found. But just two weeks after Precious's body was found, the theory that there may be more than one serial killer on the loose would be proven. In late January 2005, Chicago police made an announcement that an arrest had been made in the murders of Valerie Crawford and two other women who had all been strangled and found on the South Side. Police had arrested and charged 32-year-old Vincent Hudson with murder and the sexual assault of three women and the attempted murder of a fourth. Vincent, described as a homeless man by police, was believed to have lured women who were living high-risk lifestyles into isolated areas where he raped and then murdered them. Vincent had served time for rape before, and so his DNA was already in the database. But because of a backlog at the county lab, Vincent was able to continue murdering even after his DNA had been found on his victims. Vincent Hudson's arrest was proof that there had been at least one serial killer on the loose in Chicago during that time. But it also told me that there are definitely more than 51 women who had been murdered in Chicago during that time. Neither Valerie nor Cheryl's names appear on the list of the 51 murdered women, and that's because Valerie's murder was eventually solved. But I could not locate any information about whether or not Cheryl's murder had ever been solved. Hudson was only being charged with three murders, but it does make you wonder, could he have been responsible for more? Police at that time said that there were more tests being performed, but they wouldn't say if Hudson was a suspect in any of the murders that were mentioned in the article. Sadly, 
even if Vincent Hudson was responsible for more murders, he was not the only one. Because after his arrest, the murders continued. On February 1st, 2005, 25-year-old Denise Torres was found partially nude and strangled to death and found in an alleyway. There was also blood found at the scene of her murder. The police told the Chicago Tribune that they had no suspect in her murder, but they believed that she had been quote-unquote vulnerable because of a high-risk transient lifestyle. 2005 would end with at least three more murders. And I say at least because we now know that there were more strangulation murders that took place than the 51 that are on the list of unsolved murders. Now, some of those murders were solved, but there are 51 that are unsolved. And of those unsolved murders, three more women were found. Wanda Hall was 33 when she was found strangled in a vacant lot on August 30th, 2005. Yvette Mason was 35 when she was found in an alleyway on Christmas Day. And five days later, 40-year-old Shaniqua Williams was found behind an abandoned building. She, too, had been strangled. After four years, the number of women strangled in Chicago had been steadily rising. Dozens of women had been murdered. And at least 28 of those murders were unsolved. Although police had made an arrest in early 2005 of one of the men responsible for some of these murders, they had not stopped. Police had begun to acknowledge that women in Chicago were being targeted, even if they wouldn't admit any connections between the murders. And the media was beginning to take notice as police began issuing warnings to women in the city. Now, before I asked, you know, what is it about Chicago that would make it a breeding ground for serial killers? I mean, the recent string of strangulation murders wasn't the first time, and it really wasn't the second time either. In the decade before Angela Ford was murdered in 2001, Chicago had had a long history of serial killers stalking and murdering women. The South Side Strangler was a name coined by the media in the 90s when, again, dozens of women were found dead. It was long believed that the murders were being committed by one man, hence the name the Southside Strangler. But it would be later determined that during the time period that they thought there was one killer on the loose, there were actually multiple men committing the murders. Andre Crawford was convicted in 2001 for murdering 11 women between 1993 and 1999. All of Crawford's victims had been beaten and strangled after being lured to various locations. The women Crawford killed had histories of drug abuse and sex work, and he would lure them in with promises of drugs or money in exchange for sex. But instead, he would kill them and then sexually assault them after they were dead. Crawford was well-known in the Inglewood and New City areas, And the people who knew him never suspected that he had been murdering women for years. When Crawford was arrested, he told police that he had been a quote-unquote shark in a fresh pond after moving to the West Side area to continue his killing spree. According to the Chicago Tribune, he said that after heightened police presence in the South Side, he moved to the West Side, but he said West Side women were harder to lure. He told police that, It was only a matter of time before he killed again. 
And also, in 2001, Kevin Taylor was arrested in August of that year for the murders of four women in the summer of 2001. Kevin would take the women to secluded locations to have sex with them, and then he would kill them. The Chicago Tribune reports that Kevin would get into arguments with the women about the price of a sex act, which was usually less than $20, and then he would strangle them. A few months before Kevin Taylor's arrest, Gregory Griffin was arrested for the murders of seven women in the Roseland area. The murders had taken place over a two-year period between 1998 and 2000. But there were others. Hubert Geralds, Gregory Klepper, and Ralph Harris were all convicted of murdering women in Chicago between 1994 and 1995. When Gregory Klepper was arrested, he claimed that while under the influence of drugs, he had murdered at least 40 women. Police, however, were only able to link him to the one murder for which he was convicted and given an 80-year sentence for. Now, all of these men had been active murderers all during the same time, and police were able to use DNA in those cases to solve the murders. Kevin Taylor had murdered four women the same year that Angela Ford was found, and around the same time that the other murders took place that year. That makes him the first man arrested for murders committed after 2001, bringing the number of serial killers we now know about during that time to two. Two active serial killers since 2001, and between them, they were responsible for the deaths of seven women. We know now that the idea that there was an active serial killer, or more likely several active serial killers on the loose, was strong. It's a wonder that police were reluctant to say so. Now, some of the serial killers had been active for years before they were caught from the 90s, and the history of women being strangled in the city had been long. So when several men were arrested for the murders, and they still continued, police should have admitted that there may be multiple serial killers still out there. Clearly, police knew that it wasn't far-fetched that the recent murders could have been the work of a serial killer or multiple serial killers. The continued strangulation murders of multiple women should have been a bigger story at that time. I mean, a front-page news story. But when the victims are mostly Black women who lived high-risk lifestyles, even when dozens of them are murdered, it doesn't make headlines. In 2006 more women were found dead. The year began with the strangulation murder of Margaret Gomez, who was 22 years old, when she was found dead in a vacant lot on January 12, 2006. Antoinette Simmons was found strangled to death in a trash can six months later on July 14, 2006. She was 21. And in September, 34-year-old Kelly Sarf was found strangled inside an abandoned building. If you add up all of the unsolved cases with all of the solved cases between 1993 and 2006, almost 100 women had been murdered in Chicago by strangulation. The fact that police had solved some of these murders and found multiple serial killers was proof that they had been paying attention to at least some of these murders. And it's quite possible that at the time, the police knew that there may be a serial killer or serial killers on the loose, but were reluctant to say anything for whatever reason. And the local media 
often relies on police to release information to them, which the Chicago police was not doing. After another six-month hiatus, three months into 2007, Veronica Williams became the first unsolved strangulation of that year. And when DNA was finally tested, Veronica's murder would be the first of these murders to be linked to another murder of a woman eight years before. Do you want to know the key to consistent good hair days? It's using ingredients that benefit your hair. Function of Beauty makes hair care products that are 100% customizable, made for your hair where it's at now and where you want it to go. Function of Beauty is the world's first fully customizable hair care that creates individually filled shampoos, conditioners, styling, and treatment formulas based on your hair now and where you want it to go. Founded by a dream team of engineers and cosmetic scientists, each Function of Beauty product is individually designed to be as unique as you are. Function of Beauty offers over 54 trillion possible formulations. Every one of them is vegan and cruelty-free, and they never use sulfates or parabens. You can also go completely silicone-free. Here's how it works. First, take the quick hair quiz to build your hair profile and select five hair goals like length, volumize, or oil control. Does your hair get frizzy in the water but oily in the summer? Function formulations are meant to be changed when your needs change. Next, choose your color and fragrance or go dye or fragrance-free. Then, you'll get your freshly filled formula delivered straight to your door and prepare for good hair days ahead. Say goodbye to generic hair care for good today. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash girlgone to take your hair goals quiz and you'll save 25% on your first order. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash girlgone to let them know you heard about it from our show and to get 25% off your first order. That's functionofbeauty.com slash girlgone to take your hair quiz and save 25% on your first order. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Between 2001 and 2007, there had been 31 unsolved strangulation murders in the city of Chicago. Following a disturbing trend that started in the early 90s and continued even after the arrests of several different serial killers, Women in Chicago were being strangled and left in vacant lots, buildings, and alleyways. After 2001, we learned that at least two men had been arrested for multiple murders. But still, police were reluctant to say that there may be more serial killers out there. But regardless of whether the police were willing to admit it or not, the murders were continuing. In 2007, Veronica Williams was the first victim of that year. 
Veronica, whose mother Lily described her as a funny, caring person, was found dead in an alleyway on March 25, 2007. Police had been called to the scene by neighbors who had discovered Veronica's body in front of a garage. When Veronica was found, she was nude from the waist down and she had been strangled. According to police, Veronica was a sex worker in the area who went by V. And DNA samples were collected and sent to the state crime lab to be analyzed. Now, it's not clear when the DNA was tested, but when the results came back, investigators discovered that whoever had killed Veronica had also killed at least one other woman, too. Eight years before Veronica's murder, Brenda Graham, who was in her 30s, was found strangled to death on October 30th, 1999. Like Veronica, Brenda had also been found in an alleyway, and Brenda had had her pants and underwear pulled down. Unfortunately, to this day, police have been unable to match that DNA to a suspect. The next three victims were also all strangled, but they also had something else in common. Their bodies had been burned. Marianne Zikowski was a 56-year-old woman who was married and living with her husband. Marianne reportedly had gone over to clean the home of a neighbor who was in the hospital. Marianne had been known in the neighborhood as being someone who helped her elderly neighbors. Right before midnight on May 2nd, 2007, 911 received a report of a fire at a home on the 4700 block of South Laughlin. When the fire was extinguished and firefighters checked the house, they found Marianne's body on an enclosed porch. Sometime after Marianne went over to the home, she was strangled, and then the home was set on fire. When Marianne was found, her body was badly burned. Now, Marianne, as far as I could tell, was not a sex worker or a drug user, and she had been married for 30 years. Six months later, two more bodies were found, one day apart, and both women were found strangled and dumped in garbage cans, and their bodies had been set on fire. Teresa Bunn was 21 years old when she disappeared on Monday, November 12, 2007. Teresa was a graduate of Inglewood High School, and according to her family and friends, she loved music and just having fun. They said that Teresa was a friendly person who always tried to make fit people feel better if they were down. Now, earlier in 2007, Teresa had found out that she was pregnant. Her family told the Chicago Tribune that Teresa was looking forward to being a mom. Her family was excited, too, because it would be her family's first grandchild. She had even picked out a name for her son, Michael Pierre Thomas Bunn. However, Teresa did seem to be having some issues concerning the identity of the father of her child. Now, as reported by the Chicago Tribune, Teresa had been the subject of a protection order by a man who said that she had been harassing him and his family, accusing him of being her child's father. The court document said that the man accused Teresa of threatening to have people beat him up. And in September 2007, Teresa was arrested for violating that protection order. Teresa, in a letter written to the court, said that she was the one being harassed and that the man and his family were trying to make her lose her baby. But 
Despite these issues, in November 2007, Teresa was eight months pregnant and preparing for her son's arrival. On Monday, November 12th, Teresa told her family that she was going shopping, either in Chicago or in Evergreen Park. But Teresa never came back home from what was supposed to be her shopping trip. And when she didn't, her mom started to worry almost immediately. Apparently, Teresa had an unspecified medical condition that caused her to become confused. And so her mother worried that she may be somewhere lost. Sadly, Teresa's family would not have to search for her for very long. Just before midnight on Monday, November 12th, a body was found in a garbage can near Washington Park. The body had been burned beyond recognition. It would take three days before the body could be identified through dental records. And it was Teresa. And she had been strangled. Teresa's family was absolutely devastated. They had not only lost Teresa, but her unborn son as well. Teresa, like Angela and Nancy and Marianne earlier that year, is not a sex worker either. And yet, someone had strangled her and set her on fire. Teresa was also pregnant. Eight months pregnant. Police did not have a suspect, but... Early on, they believed that Teresa was killed by someone she had a personal relationship with. But before people in the community could wrap their heads around one body being found burned in a garbage can, a little more than 24 hours later, and two miles from where Teresa was found, another woman was found dead. Hazel Lewis was a 52-year-old mother and grandmother who was found strangled and set on fire on November 14th. Her body had also been found in a garbage can, and the can was located behind an elementary school. Hazel was born in Mississippi, according to the Chicago Tribune. Hazel's mother was a nurse, and while she was growing up, Hazel's family moved between Mississippi and Chicago. But after high school, Hazel moved to Chicago's South Side. Eventually, she gave birth to three daughters. And over the years, Hazel had several jobs. She worked as a legal secretary and a bartender at various points in her life. In 2007, at 52 years old, according to her daughters, Hazel was happy. She was a grandmother and a great-grandmother, and she loved cooking and spending time with her family. In fact, in one of the last times one of her daughters saw her, she was dropping her granddaughter off after taking her to the pumpkin patch. Hazel was also engaged to her longtime boyfriend, and they had recently gone on a vacation not long before her murder. When Hazel was found dead in the exact same way that Teresa was just the day before, police admitted that there were similarities in their death. Both women were not only strangled and put in garbage cans, but they had both been set on fire. Neither of them were sex workers. That would have been vulnerable to being lured like many of the other women we know about. And with the bodies so burned so badly, there probably wasn't much of any DNA for them to collect. And so these cases were just added to the pile of unsolved strangulations in Chicago. But for people in the community, these murders felt different. 
especially when one of those women was eight months pregnant and the other was a great-grandmother. After Teresa and Hazel's murder, the idea that there was at least one serial killer committing these murders was starting to spread in the community. And one of the first people credited with using their platform to vocalize that there was a serial killer out there was author and activist Mickey Kendall. She began speaking out about something that the police were unwilling to admit. But as Mickey continued speaking out about the murders and the likelihood of a serial killer, the murders continued. And it would be another 10 years before the murders of the women in Chicago would begin getting national media attention. In 2008 and 2009, there were at least 10 more women who were found strangled to death, including Genevieve Mellis, who was found strangled in a park on October 9th, 2008, Linda Morgan, who was found inside of a trash bin five days later on October 14th, and 38-year-old Eureka Jackson, who was found strangled to death in November 2008 inside of an abandoned building. Charlene Miller, LaToya Banks, and Shannon Williams were some of the victims found in 2009. Charlene was found dead in her home. LaToya and Shannon were found in alleyways. By 2010, the string of murders, both unsolved and solved, was nearing almost a decade in length. Dozens of women had been killed, and at least two serial killers had been arrested. And in 2010, yet another serial killer was arrested in Chicago. In May 2010, 24-year-old Michael Johnson was arrested after his DNA linked him to three murders, including two murders that had taken place just that year. But the first murder he committed was back in 2008 when he murdered Eureka Jackson. Michael Johnson was only caught when one of the women he attacked survived and she was able to identify him. And when police obtained a DNA sample for Michael Johnson, they were able to link him to the three murders. Michael Johnson was the third man in nine years to be arrested for multiple strangulation murders. So the theory that there were multiple serial killers out there was really no longer a theory. After 2011, the number of strangled women began to slow down. Between 2011 and 2016, there were three murders, with no murder documented in 2013 at all. In 2015, a man named Thomas Hargrove, who was an investigative journalist, developed an algorithm that would identify patterns and murders within a particular area in order to identify potential serial killers. Through his own investigation, he began to notice the pattern of murders happening in Chicago. And through the Freedom of Information Act, he was able to obtain thousands of police records that led him to the discovery of the victims and the similarities. He founded the Murder Accountability Project, which he started not long after identifying the cluster of murders in Chicago. Using his algorithm, Thomas Hargrove discovered the pattern of women that had been murdered since 2001 in three main areas of Chicago. His research had determined that these women were not killed by 51 separate men, but instead, they had been killed by men who had killed before. In 2017, 
Thomas Hargrove presented the data he had gathered about Chicago to a conference for investigative reporters and editors. And the information that he presented was shocking. Because even in a room of investigative reporters, they had no idea how many women had been found dead in Chicago over the past 16 years. After Thomas's presentation, what had been happening in Chicago was finally getting some attention. And it was the beginning of a public discussion about whether or not there was a serial killer in Chicago. However, even as people in the mainstream media were beginning to pay attention, the murders continued in 2017 with the strangulation of 21-year-old Diamond Turner, who was found in a garbage can on March 3, 2017. The first major media outlet to raise questions about the murders in Chicago was Vice News. In November 2017, Vice News interviewed Mickey Kendall and Thomas Hargrove about the multiple unsolved homicides and the similarities in these women's deaths. They also discussed during the story the extremely low homicide solve rate in Chicago. Amongst large cities, Chicago was at the bottom of the list. And many people believe that that could be a contributing factor in why these murders are happening so frequently in Chicago. Perhaps the lack of arrests is allowing murderers to stay on the street longer, killing more people, which would make Chicago a prime hunting ground for serial killers. And if they are never arrested, then there's no way for their DNA to be in the system to be tested. After over a decade of these murders being ignored, what had happened to these women was finally beginning to get the attention that it deserved. After the Vice News story, several other media outlets began asking questions and running stories about these murders. But even with the new attention, police continued to deny that the murders were connected. They claimed that none of the DNA found on any of the victims matched another victim. But the truth was that not all of the victims had DNA recovered from their bodies. And when DNA was collected, many of the samples sat untested for years because of backlogs at the county lab. Investigators had been presented with the data collected by Thomas Hargrove, but they still denied the existence of any serial killer. In September 2008, Rio Renee Holyfield became the 51st woman whose murder would go unsolved. Her body was found in a garbage can after she had been missing for several days. By the time she was found, her body was too decomposed to determine a cause of death. But when Rio's family found out about the other murders, they became convinced that Rio was also the victim of a serial killer. As more and more people in Chicago became aware of these murders, Community activists and organizers began holding rallies and marches to bring more awareness to these cases. 18 years after Angela Ford was strangled and left for dead in an abandoned building, 18 years that included the murders of 75 women in total, the Chicago Police Department finally announced that they were creating a special task force to look into the murders. In 2019, the Chicago Police Department said that they had assigned a team of six detectives that would work alongside the FBI to review the 75 cases that had taken place since 2001. 
The announcement was welcome news from the community who had been fighting to get these cases more attention. But unfortunately, the task force has been so far unable to bring closure to these cases. Of the 51 victims whose murders were unsolved, only about 18 of them had DNA collected. Police also said that the way DNA was collected in the early 2000s was different than in 2019, which made testing samples difficult. And of the 51 women, only one of the cases has been solved since the formation of the task force. And that was the murder of Diamond Turner. In 2020, three years after her murder, DNA results concluded that a man that Diamond had been romantically involved with was responsible for her death. His DNA, however, has not been linked to any other homicides as of today. As the momentum behind solving these murders was finally beginning to pick up, the pandemic hit us in 2020. And much of the work being done around these cases slowed down. In 2020, legislation was introduced in Illinois to create a task force that would specifically look at the causes of these murders and would raise awareness about sexual assault. But because of the pandemic, the bill was not passed until June of this year. The law takes effect in January 2023, and the first report is due December 31st, 2024. As of today, however, there haven't been any more of these murders that have been solved. And it's not clear what work the task force is currently doing. For years, the Chicago Police Department denied that there was a serial killer or serial killers on the loose, despite having evidence that pointed to the fact that there probably was multiple serial killers out there. A lack of care for some of these victims because of their lifestyles meant that when they were killed, the police didn't really bother to investigate what happened. Evidence was lost, and witnesses were never even interviewed. All of these women deserved so much more. Sex workers or not. Drug addicts or not. None of them deserve to be strangled and discarded like trash. And the people who are responsible should be held accountable. Over these past two episodes, we have learned that there were, in fact, more than 51 women that were murdered between 2001 and 2018. And we also learned that it was just a continuation of a pattern that has started in the 90s. And it continued even after the arrest of several serial killers. While police during those 17 years would deny that the murders were connected or that there was a serial killer on the loose, at least three men were arrested and convicted of multiple murders. The stories of these murders barely made the local news, and many of the victims were never mentioned by the media. We only know their names because of the work of Thomas Hargrove and the Murder Accountability Project. If these murders had been taking place in a small town in middle America or a college town somewhere, and the victims were predominantly white, would it have taken 17 years before the mainstream media began to notice? Would it have taken the local PD 17 years before they began to really look into the connection between these murders? It's possible that some of the serial killers that were arrested during that time period are responsible for more murders, but 
they may be among the bodies that no DNA was collected from. But without knowing for sure, there is no closure for these families. And the families that are left deserve to have justice. I hope that in the years to come, as we continue to shine a light on these murders, that questions will be answered and justice will be served for more of these women so that all of these women can rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. It also helps our show grow. As always, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.